brown, brown, driving me wild. It's a pretty brown, brown, driving me wild. Welcome to the rodeo, the rodeo show. Welcome back to the rodeo show. This is episode two out of the four episode series to end the rodeo show. And this week we are going to be discussing the Me Too campaign. Um, So when the Me Too campaign came out, I remember, this is a couple of weeks ago, but I remember seeing a lot of hashtag Me Too's on Twitter and on Facebook particularly. And I didn't uh, participate in it at the time. I definitely showed support and love to the post that I saw online, but I didn't post anything myself. And I think the reason was because it kind of felt um, weird for me to post Me Too without any context. And then I didn't really know if I felt like writing like a whole paragraph or two-page post detailing the multiple times in my life that I've been sexually assaulted or um, sexually harassed. And one thing I, I really enjoyed about the campaign is that it ran the gamut of experiences to let other women know or make it clear to other women that any unwanted attention by men is is not warranted. If you don't want it, then it's unwarranted and you don't deserve that. And like, you're not alone in feeling like something weird happened or like something feels uncomfortable. And recently, uh, a writer, Danielle, for The Root came out with an article pretty much saying that she had been uh, sexually, um, I don't want to say, I don't know if she used the word assaulted, but that she was inappropriately touched by two very prominent people um, in the Black community. And so she kind of reinvigorated that conversation about um, sexual improprieties and uh, unwanted sexual touch and things of that nature. And so I thought, you know, it would be a good time to revisit that on the podcast Um, For that reason, that is, you know, so many people have stories. And so for me personally, um, I feel like I have been being sexualized since I was like in elementary school because I developed early or earlier than a lot of other people. And so there were there would be moments where like people's mothers in elementary school and in middle school would tell their kids not to hang out with me or um, not to play with me because or not to be my friend because um, I was quote unquote fast. And they didn't really have any barometer for judging that. Just, I guess, based on how I looked. Um, And I remember one parent in particular uh, used to tell her child not to hang out with me. And then one day she came to a um, an award show. You know how they do the elementary school awards and it's like a whole ceremony and parents come to watch you get your honor roll and all that stuff. And her mom saw that I was getting an award in like everything. So I was getting the English award, the science award, the math award, the honor roll, like, you know, dance, choir, you know, I was very active in school. And this is not 
I don't even want to say that because I don't want to paint it as if there's some reason why I should have been held exempt from being called fast. Any other reason besides the fact that I was like eight. Like, it didn't matter if I was good at school. It didn't matter. None of that should have mattered. It should have just been wrong on the basis that I was an eight-year-old kid. And how can an eight-year-old be fast? Like, you know, I don't, I had no concept of like what that would mean. And so when her mom saw that I had won all of the awards, um, and anything you hear in the background is me putting my makeup on. But anything... um, yeah, so her mother ended up seeing that I won all of these awards, and then she told her, like, oh, never mind. You should, like, totally be her friend and hang out with her because she's going places and blah, blah, blah. And she had no other reason than the development of my body and then, like, maybe the fact that I had an unapologetic personality even as a kid. Um, she had no other reason to think that I was fast, but then when she saw that I was winning awards it was like oh no now she's exempt and like similar occurrences happened when I got into middle school with parents telling their daughters that I was a slut or whatever whatever and like meanwhile I was just a middle school kid just going through adolescence growing a little quicker but definitely not um prepared or ready for for anything sexual or anything like that which is so interesting to me because uh, I bring that up to say, like, sexual assault happens at the hands of of, of men, and, like, we're going to get to that. But the dismissal of it, especially the dismissal of sexual assault for black girls, comes from how we talk about black girls and how we sexualize them and over-sexualize them at really young ages. And so when something happens or you tell somebody that something happened to you, people are more dismissive. Because of the way we talk about young girls and, oh, this this child is fast and this that's why that happened because the way she, like, you know, the clothes that she wear and the way we police young girls contributes to the dismissal and the erasure of our, of our sexual assault experiences because we just keep saying it and we keep normalizing it and we keep making it seem like it's on, it's on the backs of women to rectify or ratify or you know in sexual assault and it's not it's never on the victim to to do that but in our conversations about young girls the way we set it up makes it seem like it is that way and so I brought up that story prior to speaking specifically about the sexual assault experiences because I wanted to frame it in the way that it's being framed in society and the reason why people are less quick to believe black girls as opposed to white women which is how this whole thing came back around even though you know many women of color talk about sexual assault every day there's no large online campaign um that's being recognized by mainstream media which was why it was able to be co-opted in the first place that specifically speaks on women of color and when we share our stories. But I think that the reason why that happens is that the framing that we do as as adults to children, by calling them fast, by, by policing the clothing that they wear. And a lot of times, you know, when you're policing clothing, you're trying to protect young girls from sexual assault. But then 
and doing that, you know, intention versus impact, right? So your intentions are good, but the impact of it is that you leave it on young girls and you make it seem like like they are responsible for sexual assault and so if they change their clothing then they won't be sexually assaulted and then it makes it seem like it's their fault if they do all these things and they still are sexually assaulted because it had to be something that they must have done wrong and what can an eight-year-old kid do wrong you know and so the way we speak about young black girls in media and in conversations and the way we talk to young black girls definitely impacts and contributes to the way we are dismissed when we share our stories. And so I had to come to terms with being a young kid and and my um, in middle school and one of my teachers uh, sexualizing me and other brown girls, black and brown girls who had developed early as well. And in a way, I felt like it was, like, my fault. Like, I was doing something wrong, but I couldn't, at the end of the day, like, change my body frame or be a different body type. It just was what it what it was. And so it started as something, like, small, like, people not holding their gaze at my eyes and people more so focusing on my body. Then it went from, like, throughout middle school and high school, groping, like, I want to touch all the time, like, it was so frequent that it was just like something I didn't even complain about anymore because it happened so frequently that I just tried to tune it out and just try not to make a big deal about it. Because as I talk about in the book, if you read it, um, the sins of my parents, look at that shameless plug. As I talk about in the book, you know, there's power dynamics that exist even in middle and high school. And there's like friend groups that you want to be a part of and, and you know like social status that you want to maintain and by complaining that one of the popular boys did this to you or it made you feel uncomfortable it can make people feel like you don't know how to have fun or you don't know how to have a good time and you're overly sensitive but really you just like I don't want to be touched and so I learned to internalize a lot of that for a year so when I did have unwanted touch or when I did wear a particular outfit that I was dressing for for me and somebody touched me and I didn't want them to be touched. I learned how to tune it out and or blame myself like, well, I should never wear this outfit. And I just think even just this idea that men believe that women dress for them like, sir, you don't even know the difference between purple and lavender. Why would I be dressing for you? Like that is not an easy any of my concern when I'm getting ready, but men still claim to that. And they have been socialized to believe that that is why, you know, you beat your face or you wear a certain outfit, which is so confusing to me because they don't even know what a highlight is. So why would I be beating my face for you? But okay. Um, but I dressed for me and I wanted to dress for me, but then I also had to be highly aware of like my body type and what people would would perceive me as trying to do or trying to be. And so when I would get unwanted attention, I would just accept it or unwanted touch. I would just accept it and internalize it as something that was just a part of me wanting to dress for me. And the consequence of that would be men trying to touch me. And that was just something I had to deal with. 
until until one day I was in a club and I was wearing a black dress and um, I couldn't wear uh, panties with the dress because even a thong showed a panty line and I didn't want my panty line to be showing because I just felt like that was tacky. So I didn't wear uh, panties and then I was just kind of like, whatever, like nobody's going to know that I'm not wearing panties so it's not a big deal. And so I get to the club and I'm walking through and a gentleman sticks his entire hand up my dress. I don't know why I called him a gentleman, but a man sticks his hand up my dress and fondles my vagina in the club. And I immediately left. I was so angry, so violated, so hurt, so frustrated because it's like, what am I? What, what can I do? Um, so embarrassed and then so guilty. Like I, I internalized for so long. Like that was your fault. That wouldn't have happened if you would have just wore panties, but it was no way, you know, as I'm older now, I know there was no way for him to know that I wasn't wearing panties. And thus he would have stuck his hand up my dress if I was wearing panties or no panties and still violated me in the same way. And the fact that he thought that that was appropriate or that that was going to be a gesture that was going to make me say, hey, let me stop right now and give this guy my number. Like, absolutely not. But that sat with me for a long time. It like impacted me ever wanting to go out to clubs for a while. Like, it made me feel so super self-conscious and uncomfortable and this, like, more quick to react when people touch me. Like, because I'm so afraid that somebody's going to violate me in that same way. And that's just like one of like multiple stories of just being grabbed and groped walking down the street, walking through the hallways at school. Like I can't, it's only been in the last two years that I felt like my body was mine and that I had control over who gets to touch it and who doesn't because for so long and for so many years, I mean, you have to understand, like, if you start developing in the third grade, that is, like, year, years, like, that's, like, nine, ten years old. Like, so from, like, nine to ten till 25, 15 years of men grabbing you, groping you, yelling at you on the street, like, feeling like, I mean, and then they wonder why so, so many women wonder why they're, they have anxiety or they're anxious, but, like, if you, if every time you walk down the street, somebody is trying to talk to you, touch you, grab you, yell at you, and then the threat of you like not responding is either being cursed out or killed, like that's the worst that could happen. And then the least that could happen is like he just is quiet and lets you walk by, like literally. And I don't think people understand when you talk about me too how small like how some of these smaller things have larger impacts on your on your psyche like not wanting to walk by myself down streets like or crossing the street or going an alternative route if I see a group of guys standing on a corner or um walking through the mall there's a group of guys just like standing together me wanting to go other ways because I just don't want to be bothered and I just don't want to have to say no because 
if I do just say no, then if I say it politely, then that means that I have to continue the conversation of, no, I don't want any friends. And no, I can't have it. No, I don't want to take your number. I'm sorry. Thank you. But no things like you have to be overly polite so somebody doesn't become rude or violent. But then the conversation, the conversation continues and I don't want the conversation. But then if I'm rude and I'm like, or not even rude, but just blunt and like direct, like, no, I'm not interested. Then I run the risk of somebody taking it as me being rude and then becoming violent or rude back to save face. And so it's just a very frustrating experience. And then to add physical assault on top of that, it is like debilitating. It's debilitating and it's frustrating. And then, you know, I get so, so, I don't even know what the word is. I don't want to say please, but I get so affirmed when I see other women or and hear other women um, being very vocal about their experiences and very determined in their nose because that makes me feel empowered. Like, it makes me feel like, yes, like, somebody else understands my no, like that my no means no. And that doesn't just mean sexually. Like my no means no on the street. My no means no everywhere. Like as a woman, it's like your no has to be explained. It has to be prefaced. It has to be framed. Like you have to set up parameters for your no when it just means what somebody else's no means. No, like my no means no everywhere. Like it doesn't just mean no inside you know, in sexual encounters, it means no in the street. It means no in the office. It means no in the classroom. My no means no everywhere. And so it's just, I don't know. It's just a lot. And so from those experiences of like walking down multiple streets and being yelled at and cat called and all of this, every block, like, and then people want your kindness and you're expected to be polite because you're a woman. And it's like, Yo, if you have to tell people no every block, like you're not going to be polite anymore either. Like, and I shouldn't have to be polite. I should just be able to say no and you keep it moving because I'm not interested. And it's okay for me not to be interested. Like, and I think it just ties back into what Michelle Obama was saying too. It's like we coddle our boys so much that rejection feels like an attack for them. Like, rejection literally feels like something they have to fight back against or that my no can be turned into a yes. And and it can't. And I, I think I've said this in a previous episode that like this goes back to fairy tales and movies where the woman says no multiple times, but she really means yes. And if we just keep fighting for her, she's going to change her mind. Like those types of things socialize men into thinking that you're that a woman's no doesn't mean no, that it actually means maybe or possibly if you fight hard enough. But it also makes women feel like their no's it socialized women socializes women to believe that their no's don't have power and that maybe their no isn't eventual, maybe. Like maybe it's maybe I don't really mean no. It makes you second guess your own self and like how you said it. Did I say it really strong? Like did I say it strong enough that he would know that I was serious and I wasn't trying to be like alluring or you know mysterious that I was literally just saying no like yeah so you know my me too stems from like it kind of runs the gamut a little bit it's from being cat called a million times on the street from age 
9 and 10 to now. And then um, it changed and impacted the way I dressed. Like, as I got older, I tried to, like, cover these curves, boo, but they just, they just, they don't, (laughs) they don't do it. But I've tried, and then I had to, like, recognize, like, as I started dressing more for for me again, like, okay, like, people are going to be who they are, and, like, I can only be myself and, like, reclaim my body and reclaim my identity and reclaim my time. Um, Like, you know, Auntie Maxine said, and there's a podcast on this American, not this American life, on Modern Love, the Modern, Modern Love, the podcast, and I think it's like my body is mine or something like that. But it addresses this directly. And it's like a whole essay of, you know, about a woman detailing how she kind of just wanted her no to me. No. And like that she wanted to reclaim her body as her own and her identity, her identity as her own as well. And I related so much to that because as a woman, it's like after you are no longer a kid as soon as you get boobs your body is like your your bodily or corporeal existence is 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 policed because of the the male gaze like and, and i mean there's probably a more poetic or academic way to say that but it's true as soon as you're old enough to have a little bit of boob and a little bit of butt like you're immediately told to cover up you're immediately told to like protect your body from male gaze because if you don't a man will touch you inappropriately like that is a a fact it's like we operate as if that's just something that's just natural and it's going to happen and if you don't cover up, it's going to happen to you sooner rather than later. And if you don't cover up, when people find out that you've been inappropriately touched by a man, they're not going to have empathy for you because you should have been dressed differently or you should have been acting differently. And so as a young girl, you are socialized to believe that if it does happen to you, it's your fault because we told you to cover up. And it's like, I'm nine. Like, A grown-ass man shouldn't be looking at me regardless because I'm fucking nine. And then once I'm 20-something years old, look at me like a fucking person because I'm a human. Like, make eye-to-eye contact. And so from now on, well, and then now on. But sometimes, like, I sexualize. When I see a man sexualize me, I sexualize him right back. Like, I'm going to look directly at your fucking crotch the same way you're looking directly at my boobs because I want you to feel as uncomfortable as I feel because I'm approaching you as a human being with an existence and a soul and a heart and a spirit and a mind and, like, a brain and, like, things that you want to say to me and I want to be approached the same way. But if you're not going to grant me that respect... I'm not going to grant it back to you. So if you're going to look directly at my boobs, I'm going to look at your crotch. And then we'll both just be uncomfortable. But I'm not going to continue to suffer alone or in silence. Like, that's not going to happen. So I just, as I was saying, returning back, it does, it runs the gamut. So it goes from being catcalled then to being, you know, grouped outside of my clothing and, you know, comments and things made about my body all my life and then to somebody physically like sexually assaulting me um and then to another experience that I didn't talk about in the book and I only told a a few people about it but like being then molested like that is a real thing that happened to me and it was the most uncomfortable experience of my life and I 
I was so broken by it because I really trusted the person and I knew the person for years and they knew me for years and we were like family. And so for that to happen, I felt powerless in that moment and I felt like that person took my power and I haven't been around that person since, but I never told anybody because I didn't want people to, I never told anybody who knew the person uh, besides my best friend. And then I told, you know, my significant other, my SO now, but prior to that, I never really told anybody because I didn't want anybody to look at that person differently. And I just I have a habit of protecting people and then just suffering, like, and just taking that on, on the chin just so that person doesn't have to endure the full brunt of their actions. Just because I know that people are irrational and they make quick decisions based on emotions. And I feel like I am a more rational person. And so because I believe I am more rational, a lot of times I just take stuff and, and internalize it because I know that I can handle it better than other people. And so I'd rather just take it on myself. And that has its own really sick implications and impact. It has its own really sick impact. But it's the best way I know how to deal with sensitive things like that and so I've always kept that to myself and I will keep that to myself that will go to the grave with me um because I think that person suffers on their own and that's and that's the karma I guess for their behavior and I don't need to necessarily be involved in that but it went it goes the spectrum and I think that a lot of times it's able to arrive through the spectrum because we don't um, we don't believe women, especially black women. And we over-sexualize them and we blame them for their own pain and we blame, blame them for their own suffering. And we and it's just it's just it's just crazy to me. I mean, it honestly is. And I would even say that a lot of the men I know and don't. I hope that the ones that have not experienced this, experienced this um, are not offended that I said that. But a lot of the men, not all of them, but a good number of the men I know have also been sexually assaulted. And they don't talk about it because sometimes it was by another man. Um, and then sometimes women, older women, but like it happens to them too. And I think that maybe because of the way they see women be treated when they say, you know, I was sexually assaulted. Maybe that's why they choose not to share, but, or, you know, come forward. Maybe it's just like hyper-masculinity and you're, you don't want people to think you're gay or whatever. Or if it was a woman, then you're like, well, I don't want people to think that I'm not a man and I couldn't handle it. But like you're 14, 13, 12 years old, like you may be having urges, but that doesn't mean that as somebody that is, three times, two times, three times your age should be able to come and fulfill those urges for you without you wanting them to. Um, but that's just a whole other story for a whole other time. But the point is, is like, it runs the gamut because of the way we talk about sex and bodies and the way we sexualize young girls. And I just wanted to say that despite me not posting on social media, um, that I stand with Me Too survivors and I stand in empathy and sympathy because I've been there and I and I 
and I get it and I understand the pressures and I, yeah, I'm still, you know, living in it and reeling from it as well. So, but I didn't say anything on Facebook because it is so long. Like it just seems so, it seems so trivial to just post me too without any context, without really healing behind it. And I know that some people did find healing in simply just knowing that they were not alone. And and I guess I just knew that I, I wasn't alone because I know so many women who have um, told me stories or stories that we've shared together of them suffering at suffering violence at the hands of men. So I wasn't shocked by the number of women that could say me too at all. Um, but for me personally, it just felt like I wasn't honoring my experience or my inner child by just saying me too and not providing context for why. And that's why I always say to men who say, oh, well, I've never sexually abused a woman and I've never sexually assaulted a woman and none of my friends have. It's like, are you sure? Because all of these women are saying they've been, you know, are detailing experiences of when they have been sexually assaulted or sexually abused or raped. And if none of the men are doing it, then who's doing it? Like, I'm really confused. And as somebody who has also experienced those things, I'm like, hey, no, no, you have because I know I know you and I know who your friends are. And yeah, you're a friend. Like, yes, as, as awkward as it is, as hard as it is, yes, you're a friend or yes, you like you have. You have also enacted violence against women and I've seen it. And so, no, it doesn't have to look like taking somebody in a black in a back alley. It looks like groping them at a party, which I'm sure 98% of men can say that they've done. Unwanted touching of women in parties, holding them when they're trying to get away at the bar, like holding their hand when they're trying to walk away from you or other parts of their body, squeezing by them and feeling like to squeeze by, you have to touch their butt or press your penis up against their butt. Like that's happened multiple times. And so for you to say that you've never done any of those things seems a little irresponsible. And like you maybe want to reflect on the ways in which you have done those things or you've witnessed it because it's just as bad to see your friends do those things or know that your friends do those things and do nothing about it. And so the fact that I'm even still standing here able willing and able to be in a relationship with and love a man is so weird to me and such a testament to my to my strength in survival because the the experiences I've had with cishet men throughout my life like between sexual and physical violence abandonment molestation like I just I just don't even know how I just be standing here like willing to even deal with them I really don't um, but I do because 
I'm here and I, I still have a heart and I still love or whatever the case is. I don't know. Maybe that's something I'll have to figure out. But at the end of the day, it's like I get so frustrated when I hear men say that because I know plenty of men who have been perpetrators and who have been silent and watched it happen or, you know, have perpetuated beliefs on social media or in other public spaces that contributes to the sexual violence against women. And so for you to say, no, I have never, it just, it just baffles me because then it makes it seem like women are liars because I don't understand how all of these women are being sexually assaulted and raped and physically assaulted. And yet men seem not to know not one man who has done it. So apparently we're just like doing it to ourselves, I guess. I don't know, according to them. But yeah, so I wanted to share that and honor my inner child by giving context and feedback so that maybe somebody who doesn't understand the campaign or or is not sure whether or not they fit into the campaign can hear that story and know that it's not always something as severe and, you know, devastating and violating as rape, but it's the small things that contribute to rape culture that women have to suffer every single day that is violent to our psyche and has large impacts over time. And then also largely impacts society's perception of rape and of sexual assault because all of the smaller things become normalized. And if you complain about them as a woman, then you're just like, you know, for lack of a better word, you're just bitching and complaining. You're overly sensitive and you're pretending you don't want it. Like, I remember when women were fighting about catcalling, like, yo, stop like, I just want to walk down the street. I just want to walk to the store. I want to get my shit. I want to go home. And I remember on Twitter, this was before Twitter was, I guess, as woke as it is now. But I remember, or whatever that means. I remember men being like, oh, you, y'all you act like y'all don't want it. Like, y'all don't want, you know, y'all don't want men to talk to y'all. And I was like, that act like you don't want it line is exactly why so many rapes go unreported. And then unresolved because your psyche just says that like I as a woman clearly don't know what I want and you know best for me and so there's no possible way that I could walk down the street in the body that I was born in in the clothes that I purchased and not want you to talk to me and I just don't know that I don't want that I want it and that you're going to be the one to tell me and show me and prove me wrong and determine for me what I really want. Which is so weird. But that those small things of like not allowing women to inhabit public space without you trying to talk to them is just so it's just so insidious in the way that it manifests in society and how it allows us to excuse behaviors that lead to the raping and the excuses excuses and rape apologists that exist, the excuses that exist and rape apologists that exist and like the non-convictions that continue to happen because men wholeheartedly in their souls believe that they know better for us than what we know for ourselves. 
literally the weirdest shit ever, but it's the truth. And so I wanted women to say, like, no, all of these small instances have larger impacts on your anxiety, on your depression, the things that you internalize and you harbor. They manifest through you and your blood and your spirit. And, like, the way you operate in spaces are all products of how you've been socialized. To think that being a woman is a burden or something you have to carry because that's the way that you've been socialized and like that that you are part of that campaign so just to say me too was a little bit surface level for me because I wanted to make sure that I was able to talk through and share the ways in which like hey me too doesn't necessarily just mean this one thing it means any unwanted attention by men and so yes me too and also yes like to all layers of that. Me too, to all layers. And that we need to really start talking about the way we we raise boys and the way we raise young girls. Like, the way we coddle our boys and the way we make young girls uncomfortable in their own bodies and how that contributes to so many other things that even personal things, like, outside of sexual assault, like, making women ashamed or uncomfortable in their bodies contributes to so many more personal issues of anxiety, depression, anorexia, bulimia, like all of these things because you teach young girls that there's something wrong with their body. And because your original or your innate belief is to see beauty in a naked body and somebody's telling you to cover yours up constantly without explanation because you're too young to talk about rape, but you're old enough to know that your body is a space for that is so weird because it's like, well, well, why is my body a space? Why do I have to cover up? And it's like, just because like there's men around. It's like, what does that mean? Like I have been told multiple times, like, oh, there's, there's men around. You need to put pants on. You need to do this. You need to do that. But like, I never remember hearing, oh, there's women around, you know, to my brothers and like, you need to put clothes on and I never remember hearing that for them but for me it was constant like so you're being told that there's something wrong with your body and you only see beauty and innocence in it and yet people are looking at you and they see a grown adult body and you're still like wanting to play with Barbies and have Barbie sheets and you're being told that there's something wrong and so you spend your life trying to figure out well, what is innately wrong with my body that it has to be covered? Why why do I have to feel ashamed of my body? And then you get older and you realize, oh, wait, this was about men. It was never about me. But I've already developed all of these insecurities about my body that now I can't just get rid of. And that is so that is in a comparable that is a comparable I don't want to equate oppressions, but that is also horrible. Like that and, yes and. And so that is also a horrible impact that comes with the way we raise young girls and how we teach them to see their bodies. And it's like, which one do you do, the chicken or the egg? Because you know men are predators and you know they are violent. And you know that if you don't protect your child, then these things could happen to them because they've happened to you. And I think that's where it stems from. And that's why I said earlier, the difference between um, intention and impact, 
because the intention is is positive. I know the intention is to protect your daughters and your nieces and your granddaughters and your sisters, but the impact that it has on them is the same impact that it had on you. And it's a fear. It's a insecurity. It's, it's, it's a lot. It's like a, it's an attack on their womanhood and on your womanhood. But then if you don't prepare them for that and they go out into the world and then something horrible does happen to them, then you feel like you didn't prepare them well. So I don't know. Like as somebody who doesn't have kids, I don't know what the answer is other than to start with the young boys that we have now and like teaching them explicitly at home and in schools to like, not rape women like maybe it's not on us to teach our young girls but maybe it's on us to focus not even maybe it is on us to focus on our sons and like this is what consent looks like and this is how you approach a woman if you're interested like what's wrong with having those conversations as opposed to teaching young girls that there's something wrong and something that needs to be hidden on their bodies as they're learning their bodies like so, yes, I think that, you know, what comes first is chicken or the egg. But like we can't we can continue to have conversations in public spaces to rework the minds of adult men. But it is on men and women to raise sons that understand. Understand consent and understand to look at women as human beings and like people with minds and brains and not just sexual objects. And so I think all of that. And so I stand with all women who said and who have posted me too and the ones that haven't and the ones that are still trying to figure out um, whether or not that experience was their fault or not. I understand being in that space too. And you're in my thoughts and I'm sending you divine feminine energy and I hope that your healing commences or that some healing can occur from hearing this podcast and knowing that, yes, the small things, the things that made you uncomfortable, the things that keep you up at night, the things that you question when your mind wonders, was that what I thought it was? It's exactly what you thought it was. And it wasn't your fault. And there was nothing that you could have done to prevent it. It had nothing to do with what you wore. It had nothing to do with what you said. It had nothing to do with anything other than somebody not understanding that you are a human. You are a being. You are a person. You are an equal. And that your no means no in any space. And your no means no and translates to anything. Like it's any. It means no in every space in every instance, every time. And so that was my long spiel um, to say that I stand with you and that we need to stop coddling these young boys and stop shaming young girls for the exploration of their developed or developing bodies and teach them how to love themselves and stand firm in their nose, but also teaching men how to except no like rejection is a is a natural part of life and I think that a lot of young boys grow up thinking that that's not that that's not the case and it should be the opposite so yes and um and that might no means no always so that was episode two of our four-part series 
that will end the podcast, our Long Farewell series. Um, you can look at theroadproductions.com for uh, blog one of four. And that one is called, the name is escaping me right now, but blog one of four talks about love. Oh, it's called Love and Other Things That Require Work. And so that is a blog post about my current thoughts on love and for relationships as it pertains to friendships, familiar relationships, and um, uh, romantic relationships. So family, friends, and then the self, the relationship you have with yourself, which I, you know, come to a conclusion with in in that uh, blog post. And then on Tuesday, you can expect the next blog post, number two out of the four uh, Long Farewell series blog post up on Tuesday. And that one will be a written account of um, expressing solidarity with the women in the Me Too campaign. And so thank you again for listening. As always, love, light, and black rights. Have a great weekend. Be safe. Make good choices. Pour into yourself. Sending you divine feminine energy. Have a great day. Brown, brown, driving me wild. It's a pretty brown, brown, driving me wild. Welcome to the rodeo, the rodeo show.